Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Hello, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Marty Kress. I'll be your host for today's segment. Today we are speaking with Dr. Sridhar Koder, director of M. Foresight. Dr. Koda is the Herrick Professor of Engineering as well as a Professor of Mechanical Engineering at the University of Michigan and the Director of the Institute for Manufacturing Leadership, a most interesting think and do tank focusing on policy, education, and outreach. Between 2009 and 2012, Dr. Koda served as the Assistant Director for Advanced Manufacturing at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. In this role, he developed policy recommendations and implementation strategies to enhance U.S. manufacturing competitiveness to foster innovation-based manufacturing of emerging technologies. He played an instrumental role in launching several initiatives, including the National Manufacturing Innovation Institutes, the National Robotics Initiative, and the National Digital Engineering and Manufacturing Initiative. Dr. Coda has offered over 200 technical papers, submitted over 25 patents. In his spare time, he's the founder and president of Flex System, specializing in shape-morphing aircraft wings and bio-inspired products. Dr. Coda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Marty. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I appreciate it. We are thrilled to have you here today. Um, M. Foresight is the most interesting entity. Could you give us a little bit of the background what the inspiration for creating it was, and what, what are your primary goals and objectives? So the background for M4 site goes back to when the president announced uh, this Manufacturing Innovation Institutes back in 2011 and 12. Uh, at that time, the, the White House put together a coalition of um, a half a dozen universities and a dozen companies to come together to provide uh, to inform, I should say, the federal government about the challenges and opportunities in manufacturing. We call it at that time Advanced Manufacturing Partnership, and AMP. Then later on, it became AMP 2.0. And about a, about a little over a year ago, uh, the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, or called PCAST, they made a recommendation to have, rather than do it as in, inside the government, to have an outside entity, an independent think tank consortium, so to speak, to to do just that, that is to identify emerging technologies and to inform the federal government as well as private sectors about the challenges and opportunities in advanced manufacturing. So kind of a global scout to see trends and advances that are being made and how that might enhance our competitive posture as well as our defense posture? Absolutely. See, I must note that, <clears throat> you know, we are still best in the world when it comes to fundamental research, science. And it's, it is important to continue to be the best in the world, but that's not enough. You, you in this, you know, to, to survive in this global economy, you gotta do more than science. Yes. We gotta take those ideas or discoveries and inventions and convert them into innovations. That is yes. converting a pro promising idea into a into a real-world product or a process. And hopefully, that pr product and process is made in the United States so that the taxpayers can get the return on the investment they made 
in basic research in the first place. Absolutely. So that's the idea about looking for the, you know, a lot of great research going on at, you know, in great universities like Ohio State and the rest of the country. And we need to identify, uh, you know, early on what those promising technologies are. And then we need to invest in both public and private resources to nurture the technology mature the technology or de-risk the technology, enhance its manufacturing readiness mm -hmm. and so that the companies can scale the product and then hopefully it will be the manufacturing is going to be anchored here. That's the idea. So There's a great article in the last MIT Tech Review and it's a plea for Silicon Valley to learn how to make things. And that yes. the premise that we can offshore manufacturing was a flawed premise because that advanced manufacturing becomes the center point for future innovation. So uh, your, your point is well taken. Uh, just on that note, you know, a lot of people give this uh, iconic iPhone example. Now, <clears throat> the, the supply chains for all the components that go into iPhone, they're really rooted in Asia in South Korea, Taiwan, Japan. So the point is, it, while certainly the, our tax rate and the free and fair trade, those are very, very important. But once you lose the supply chain, it's hard to bring it back. That's one point. The other point I want to make is that once you have the manufacturing process matured, you know how to make it. Yeah. You know how to make a hundred of them or a million of them or 10 million of them, then you can throw your design over the wall to the guy sitting on the other side or you can throw it across the ocean to another country. And again, iPhone is a good example of that. The, the, for emerging technologies, what we need to do is when the manufacturing process is being developed, it's being matured, you want to co-locate R&D and manufacturing. So this is why this, this mm -hmm. Manufacturing Innovation Institute, their purpose is to actually build that, uh, what uh, Pisano and she call it, uh, industrial commons, to build the knowledge, skills, and the infrastructure while the technology is being matured, while the manufacturing process is being matured. If you do that here, then you increase the likelihood of the technology being manufactured here. Yeah. Otherwise, this idea of we will do the We'll be the knowledge economy. We'll just do the discovery and let someone else manufacture. That's not sustainable. Right. Not to mention that if you don't make today's high-tech, if you don't manufacture today's high-tech products, you really lose your ability to innovate next-generation products. So the, the innovation and manufacturing really go together. There used to be a great U.S. senator from South Carolina who had a hearing on this topic said, you know, you can't transport weed on a fiber optic cable. So <laughs> you got to learn how to make things. Exactly. Right. Um, when you talk about rapid, I looked at your website. I saw one of your reports. For you, rapid is months. Could you talk to people about what would a topic be? How do you build the team? And, and how do you frame your recommendations so that they are meaningful and can be used so that we can impact you know, either policy or the direction that we're taking. Okay, so this is about the one of the activities of our M4 site, the Alliance for Manufacturing Foresight. So while we certainly function as an independent um, uh, think and do tank, 
we also respond to the needs of federal government and private sector to say if they come to us and say, hey, could you do us a report on this particular topic? And and that's exactly what's been happening since we since uh, we started M4 site in October of last year. So the what they want is timely response you know, in a matter of months, not a year or two or three. So, for example, we had uh, several federal agencies collectively requested us to put a report, give them some ideas on what are the emerging platform technologies in regenerative medicine. Mm. So this was, uh, and they gave us uh, actually two months to put together a report. So what we did is essentially um, <clears throat> we, uh, see, by the way, one nice thing about doing uh, at a university setting is you know, you can pick just about any topic, and we can find experts on campus. Yeah. And yeah. I, 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 it took me a couple of days to learn how to spell regenerative medicine. <laughs> uh, but then I don't have to know that. But I, I was able to get postdocs uh, the same day, um, and just brief me on what the landscape of regenerative medicine you know, is, uh, and uh, able to quickly identify uh, various. Uh, <coughs> uh, Thought leaders, leaders in this technology, in regenerative medicine, in industry and academia nationwide, and we quickly made those phone calls and emails and and told them what we are working on. We wanted to recruit them to come to a workshop, and and, and we did that in, in just a matter of days and weeks, and we convened a um, couple of times. These experts uh, prepared a questionnaire. They responded and individually, collectively, we had all this, wow. and then put together a draft, and then they reviewed it. So we did all that within two months. Uh, so uh, that was good. In fact, that report uh, and others, we that report in particular led to, um, I can't say it directly led to, but it influenced uh, the new Manufacturing Innovation Institute announced by Army on um, uh, I think they call it biofabrication of uh, tissue engineering. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So wow. it's nice yeah. to see the results of your work have an impact. Oh, I, yeah. I I think it, that it's important uh, because if you're just simply writing reports, I don't think the world needs more reports. We yeah. should really be. Uh, and then the part of the, uh, you know, when federal government funded uh, this M4 site, the idea is that they want us to really uh, uh, seek input from the private sector. And see what the what the real challenges are, so we can try to align our national priorities with what the research investments in public and private sectors. Gotcha. So, yeah. When you sit with a company, be it large or small, how do they see the challenges versus a policymaker sitting in Washington D.C.? So you've been lucky to wear multiple hats. How does the problem look from the ground versus from D.C.? Wow, that is a great question. Um, you know, the it's, it's it's interesting. There is definitely a gap between what the what the especially the comp especially small and medium sized companies. The challenges they face are very different than the what you hear and read about in the news and so on. The large companies find a way to to uh, state their challenges to the policymakers in Washington, D.C., and uh, that's fine, that's more power to them, but the small companies don't have that. Right. And uh, it, while the challenges are not just technology-related, although our uh, M4 site is really a technology think tank, mm -hmm. the challenges, as you know, Marty, very well, they're way beyond the technology when it comes to you know the, the taxes and regulation and trade and, and, and skilled workforce. That's a huge challenge for everybody. 
So, um, so the the again coming back to Yamfor's side, these are some of the things that we need to go out and and uh, uh, hear what small and medium sized manufacturers are saying, what their challenges are, and that's part of our our uh, our job to do, at least from the technology point of view. Talk about workforce needs. I know you have strong opinions about hands-on learning is better than trying to make a kid in eighth grade an engineer with you know, a more rigorous curriculum. Talk a little about when you look out there, what are the skill sets we need to be nurturing kids so making things and understanding systems becomes something that's uh, very attractive to them? And what programs could you highlight that you think are helping to do that? Wow. Um, <clears throat> Well, I'm trying to figure out where to begin. This is a big topic, but let me just say this. I think the America's, America's strength has been, uh, we've forgotten, in, in real-world engineering. If you go back to World War II, uh, you know, the way we, we manu- designed and manufactured, you know, mm-hmm. fighters and tankers and what have you, uh, faster than the other side, that was one of the important uh, things about how, you know, the, talk about how Detroit won World War II and you heard all about it. So uh, Detroit in a generic sense, the industrial Midwest. But now we have, you know, lost some of that uh, focus on engineering. In fact, I was talking earlier this morning about how we keep talking about rocket science. We really mean rocket engineering. You know, that's the hard part. Yeah. Okay, so so there is a difference. You know, we, we ask, I don't know if you had to buy, dissect a frog when you were in high school. <laughs> I think most kids do, but which is fine, which is great. I think the scientists are doing great science and I really hope they continue to do that. It is, I'm talking about why not expose kids to dissecting a power tool? Talk about how things are made. And that's what the, that, the curiosity is what turns these creative kids into next generation, you know, Henry Ford's or Sikorsky's or Steve Jobs. That's what we need to do, and we need to introduce this at an early stage in K through 12 education. So actually in the middle school, yeah. Uh, yeah. even high school is kind of too late. Yeah. That's one. And also the other idea that what everybody has to go to college, I think it's so misplaced. Not everybody wants to go to college. As much as, you know, I'm being a college professor for 20 plus years, so I've, I'm all about college, don't get me wrong, but the point is not everyone want to do that. And there are many other ways uh, kids can succeed with learning trades. And, and you know, if you're a skilled welder, you can, you can have a pretty, you know, you can start off with a dollars $80,000 salary. Um, so, but not only that, if we introduce those hands-on experience early on, the creative ones who want, who want to be innovators and entrepreneurs, and they will go into engineering. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to go to four-year college, like Ohio State or wherever, they can still be passionate about this kind of work and go to vocational training and get the trades and not feel like a second-class citizen because they're passionate about what they're doing and they'll be very good at it yeah. and they'll be very successful. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing we need to, we need to get um, kids exposed to. Now, you asked about examples. I think the first robotics, which I know yes. you know very well, what yes. Dean came and started, that has had a tremendous impact on, on, on kids about wanting to design and build things. Uh, <clears throat> one thing, though, th- those kind of programs are actually 
uh, are great and, and they're actually for extracurricular activities. Right. And I think they should bring those kinds of activities to the mainstream, not just something the kids who are already motivated go and do, but let it, we should expose all the, ki- all the kids in the middle school to programs like that. It's, it's, these are all creative activities. Yeah. And, and we should be teaching such engineering in, in, in K through 12. Yeah. And yeah. one more thing I want to say, this, this uh, makerspace. Yes. yes. Uh, you earlier you asked about how do you get Silicon Valley to <laughs> make things. And uh, you know, Silicon Valley does great things as we all know. And by the way, the makerspace idea is fantastic. It actually grew out of uh, um, Silicon Valley. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, the tech shop is another idea that came out of Silicon Valley. But, but, the, but uh, the nice thing about this grassroots movement in uh, makerspaces and then uh, is uh, the Maker Fair. I don't know, if it's amazing yes. you go there, you yeah. see 20, 30, 40,000 kids of all ages showing off what they built and, and the kind of uh, excitement you see only when you go to a volleyball or a football game on a Saturday morning at six o'clock. It's, it's good to see that kind of excitement and when things are about students and parents there showing off what they designed and built, exactly. it, it, it gives great hope. Yeah. So those are the, this is again another program that, that is really having a, a great influence on kids. 3D printing is another thing. If the one thing good about 3D printing is actually getting kids, you know, they can sketch something, design it and print it and say it in real hardware. That promotes, you know, that stimulates creativity. That encourages them to want to do stuff. The other is it's this idea of velocity. Um, So actually um, the head of the rapid equipping force for the Army in, in the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, he didn't publicize it put trailers in both countries with 3D printers in them. And every morning he'd have IDEO, the premier design group in California, online with the kids in the field, not the officers, saying, what do you need? The drawing would be there that afternoon and they'd print the part off and solve the problem. Exactly. So, you know, so the world gets real small in that world. I, I'm pleased to tell you the uh, Idea Factory in Columbus is, as of last year, the largest maker space in the U.S., but it's more intriguing. They bought a 3D printer, and the first thing they did with their printer is print a new printer. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty that, yes, so that's that's fantastic. Pretty good. So I know, um, you know you've been on campus at Ohio State today. I know you have a lot of similar programs at Michigan. Talk about what captured your imagination on campuses in terms of the same thing where students now are really designing, you know, very complex systems and things that actually, you know, go down runways, fly, and do incredible things. How does that play into the equation and you think we should do more of that as well? Absolutely. I know what we saw uh, today, the, you know, the kids who are doing this solar car, mini Baja, these are the kids you know, they're doing it not for credit. They're doing it not for earned money or anything. They're doing on top of all the full load of courses they're taking. Those are the kids we need to encourage. And yeah. they are going yeah. out and doing it anyway in the middle of yeah. the night working on them. Yeah. Those are the kids going to be very successful. Those are the, 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 the incredible educational experience they get. The systems engineering, you talked about it earlier. Yeah. Hands-on. That experience is invaluable. We need to do more of that. That's what engineering is about. And also... More broadly, we can engage a lot of disciplines across campus beyond engineering into activities like that. Yeah. We, we have some programs now. Eight or nine colleges are working to develop sustainable systems for Africa around food, energy, water, and health. 
And we didn't think that way 10 years ago. And you also start to realize it's only those sustainable systems that'll solve the problem. Yes. If yes. all I do is give you a pump, you don't have a chance to make it. Um, <laughs> the the other thing that's intriguing about the world we're in, and, and you may want to chat a little, it's uh, IT, handhelds, the whole proliferation of devices changes the way we make things, say, changes the way we set up plants and factories. I, I know you got to look at the Center for Design and Manufacturing uh, uh, today. That's the other thing that I see happening around the U.S. Uh, you know, we didn't talk about network operating systems, and we didn't. The whole approach to manufacturing is different. So if you're a young kid out there listening today, describe manufacturing today versus where his grandfather probably did manufacturing. Wow. It's, it's very different. I think, it's, you see, the first thing I say is that our companies, the first thing they got to start doing is to they should give factory tours. Set aside a day, half a day, three hours in a year, maybe every six months for the local high school, local middle school. Show them what they have, what, you know, there are things they can dazzle them with what they're doing without giving out their IP. Yeah. That's not, you know, just let kids go through and see it and then inspire them about how things are made. And that is, and then they'll get to see this factory is not like, you know, Sure. Tightening nuts and bolts on, on an automobile assembly line is far different than that with this highly sophisticated, you know, computer-controlled machinery doing lots of things, not only robots, but, you know, all this highly automated machinery. This is what we need to experts expose kids to. They have to really see it. Yeah. We yeah. can only read so much about it and talk so much about it, and this is something yeah. our companies can do and should do that to yeah. to encourage kids to go into. They're, they're very visual, and they want to that see is. it and touch it, right? Yeah. They don't want you to say, do not touch and put a sign on it. Right. Yeah, learning's different. Um, you know, once we yeah. inspire them with that, about creating cool stuff, then the math and science becomes easy. You know, they don't. instead we tell them that you got to get an A-plus in math before you even think of man manufacturing or engineering. That is so so wrong. If they're inspired about being innovators and builders and creators and makers, they will learn math and science. They will get an A plus in, in calculus. That, you know, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that you know, inspiring them is very important. Having you know, been in the academic side and the policy side in DC, are you optimistic about where we are and where we're heading? Or are there still some key gaps that you think we need to start addressing? Okay, from, uh, well, if you get into economic aspects, that's a bigger challenge, and we'll leave that aside for now, exactly. talking about science and technology-wise, I'm very, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about the, you know, at least we are having a kind of a national dialogue on manufacturing. We haven't had that in a long time. Right. That's a good first step, and we've got to, um, again, the the real threat to us, it's not so much the 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 foreign competition as much as our own lack of interest in manufacturing, our own lack of interest in engineering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is where going back to how do we get this really creative, you know, students we have, creative kids we have, and, and again, you know, the entrepreneurship, the the creativity is in the is in the collective DNA of this country. That's second to none. Right. Why not? expose them to these kind of cool ideas, inspire them. It's amazing. It, it's, it's, it, we don't know what they're going to create. Oh, so we need yeah. to do that. If we don't, we, we need to get kids interested in these areas. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, we've done a good job getting them interested in apps and software. Yeah. Now we need the same that they learn how to make things. And exactly. Things. And then going yeah. back to even apps and software, yeah. too. You know, by the yeah. way, I just want to point out there's a – this – there's a new manufacturing institute on uh, smart process manufacturing. They call it, if I could, just a few things about that and also Absolutely. about the the whole the marriage between IT and manufacturing. It, it's totally is revolutionizing and will continue to revolutionize uh, the way we do manufacturing uh, in terms of, you know, the 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 software tools we already have now today for design and engineering. It just it's unthinkable, oh, yeah. you know, right. it's it's it's. And now you can, you need to, not all the, you know, vast majority of small and medium-sized manufacturers don't use them because they're too expensive or they don't have the expertise. So we need to lower the barriers. We need to make cool apps that are product-specific apps for a particular manufacturing sector, particular product sector built on top of the general purpose apps. There's an opportunity there. There are there are things like in, in the real time, you know, putting sensors out over the manufacturing floor, collecting real time data, and then have the sophisticated modeling and simulation tools mm-hmm. with the, the statistical models embedded in them so that you can capture errors before they propagate. You can track every part where it came from. And so there are a lot of things you can do with the big data with, with IT and manufacturing together. And that's already happening. And we need to, um, uh, we need to build the knowledge infrastructure in this country so it takes root here. And, and, oh, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, you walk into a plant now and you got robots recalibrating and what, 30 minute intervals and you're going, wow, this, yes. is, this isn't yesterday's world. I always try and give a nice soft question at the end to let you promote something. <laughs> I see you have an event coming with an interesting title, Democratizing Manufacturing. Would you like to tell folks what your goals and objectives are and what that means? So since you're giving me time to market something, I'm going to market two things. So let okay. me talk about there's another annual summit coming up Super. too, but let me tell you about the democratizing manufacturing. That's a workshop. You're, again, this is one of the rapid response reports that the government asked us to uh, ask for our ideas. So we are convening a workshop on next Monday and Tuesday in Washington, D.C., and, and Glenn, Professor Glenn Dane from Ohio State is going to be there uh, help me organize that. And this is essentially <clears throat> we are looking for ideas on – let me – Put it in four different buckets. One is a lot of entrepreneurs uh, have great ideas, some functional prototypes that seem very promising, but they have very little knowledge about what it takes to turn that idea, that prototype into manufactured product that is safe yep. and reliable and cost effective and what have you. So we are trying to figure out how do we democratize this manufacturing knowledge? Gotcha. What are the intelligent design tools that you can put the, put at the fingertips of designers so that it will guide the designers towards a manufacturable design? What kinds of online tools we can provide? What And also uh, things like how do we – there are great retired and semi-retired experts and technical and business experts – how do we connect them with startups? They can, you can really ramp up how quickly these guys can, uh, you know, turn an idea into a product. So th- some of that. And the other one is <coughs> low volume manufacturing. You know, you can, mm-hmm. these 3D printers are lower barriers to print some unique products. Uh, but unique, uh, you, what should I say, the customized, personalized products. But then if it's a commodity product, we right. know how to make millions of them once you invest in hard tooling. 
But the question is, how do you make 5,000 or 10,000 widgets? Exactly. Now, it's too many to print one at a time or two at a time. It's too few to invest in hard tooling. So what are those innovative ideas that uh, to innovative technologies that will help us produce uh, stuff in low volumes mm -hmm. in the United States, mm -hmm. yes. not going anywhere else. Then what are the new business models for, uh, for, uh, for manufacturing? And we are also going to be talking about and, and workshopping ideas for how do we integrate the supply chains. You know, that's very important, Huge especially for issue. new technologies. Yeah. How do you get the small companies and startups to be integrated and access to the established supply chains? So all of these topics we're going to be discussing are democratizing manufacturing. That is really and super. Hopefully, we'll come up with some good ideas with uh, with all the experts we invited from industry, uh, small and large, and also from academia, uh, and some from the government. We have this workshop in Washington, D.C. next week. And hopefully, we come up with some good ideas that could lead to some new initiative. And one more thing I want to say, we do, M4 Site has our first uh, national summit in Washington, D.C. on September 29th. And the theme uh, for our summit is America's New Manufacturing Moment. Oh, we have some interesting, we have some great speakers and also some interesting uh, uh, sessions like Game Changer Series, where people come up and talk for five minutes about what one idea is going to be a game changer for manufacturing. And we have uh, a session, another session where people read a 500-word summary of what they would want the next president to do gotcha. to, to strengthen our manufacturing. So it's a lot of stuff happening. I like that stuff. I can tell you grew up in D.C. a little. Those are transition plan inputs. <laughs> uh, Dr. Coda, we are honored to have had you, and we uh, wish you continued success because your success is uh, our region's success. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marty. Thanks again. Thank you very much for inviting me. Honored to have you. Yeah.